Why isn't the promise of eternal life not much of a selling feature for Christianity anymore? Why can't we just stick a sign on our front lawn that says, have a contrite heart, we've got eternal life? Why isn't that appealing? Why don't people come flocking through our doors to come and get this promise and gift of eternal life that they can't find anywhere else, that they can't create for themselves? The answer is not really simple, but I think part of it is captured by our opening prayer from Mass today. When we prayed, Lord, graciously keep us from all adversity so that unhindered in mind and body alike, we may pursue in freedom of heart the things that are yours. See, the reality is most of us are not unhindered in mind and body alike, and we're not capable of pursuing in freedom of heart the things that are God's. See, one of the realities of being human is that every word and every action that we speak is actually upheld by much deeper realities, more profound realities that we don't usually articulate. If we had to think about them and articulate them every time we spoke and every time we acted, it would be exhausting. But we still do it. That there are foundational things to everything that we say and everything that we do that motivate them, that inspire them, that direct them. What do I mean? Take a simple example of a parent and a child at the cash at the grocery store, right? What is a common experience? They, the children see the beautiful chocolate bars all arrayed and they want one. So they say, mom, I want a chocolate bar. And nine times out of 10, what's the answer from mom or dad? No. What does the child hear? The child hears, you don't want to give me what I want. That's not nice, that's not fair. That's all they hear, right? That's very superficial. What underlies the no from mom or dad? Well, it might be, I don't want you to spoil dinner. But there's more than that. It's not just, I don't want you to spoil your dinner, it's I don't want you to spoil your health, and I don't want you to spoil your life by me giving you everything that you want when you want it. Now, when mom and dad say no at the cash, they're not thinking, I don't want to spoil your life when they say that. But that's part of what undergirds and is the foundation of telling your child no at certain moments. That deeper reality of wanting them to learn what it means to be human and what it means to have and to have not is part of what motivates the way that you parent them and inspires a no when really, most parents would love to give their child the chocolate bar. Deeper realities lift up words and actions that we live out every day. Because if we think to the Gospel of John, in chapter 6, where Jesus gives his bread of life discourse, right, where he says, I am the bread of life. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. And what happens at the end of that, when he's done speaking to all of his disciples, followers of his, not just random crowds, his disciples he's saying this to? Many of them leave. 
they walk away. Even with this promise of eternal life, they walk away from Jesus. And so then Jesus turns to the apostles and says, are you going to go too? And Peter, mustering up all the faith that he has, says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter was able to see what underlied this confusing teaching of Jesus about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, recognizing that what supported that and built that up was that promise of eternal life. This is important to understand when we look to the gospel today and this question that's put to Jesus and the way that he answers it. Because I know for my own very strong in faith grandfather, this was a struggle for him all the way till his death. How could God not want me to be with your grandmother in heaven? That seems like the opposite of happiness to me. So why would Jesus say that in heaven there is no marriage? That the spouse that you have spent your entire life being devoted to and faithful to, you won't be married to them in heaven. Why? Well, to start with, in marriage, when you say I love you, it's way more than just an exchange of greeting. You're not just saying I love you to make sure that the other person will say it back so that you're on the same page and you both have an equal understanding that we're supposed to love each other that in a real way, every time you say, I love you, you are carrying with those words the entirety of your relationship together. Everything that you have built up together. I'll tell couples sometimes on their wedding day, you're going to make your vows today, one time for the entirety of your life. But in a real way, every time you say, I love you to your spouse, it's renewing this vow that you make today that it captures within those simple words these foundational realities, foundational truths that lift up and support what marriage is all about. That's the goal. Now, obviously, you can just say, I love you and not mean it, but that's not the point. That's when you've forgotten what underlies those words. That's when you no longer have the freedom of heart to pursue the things that are God's. So, when you look at marriage, you can think of it in layers, right? The, the superficial layer of marriage, why would somebody want to be married? Very superficially, companionship. It's better to be with someone than to be alone. What else? Maybe family. That the desire to form a family, you can't do that by yourself. You need to be married, have a spouse, in order to form that family. And security, right? To pool your resources in order to look after each other in this life. To kind of cushion the blow of the difficulty of living in this life is easier when you're doing it with someone rather than trying to go it alone. And frankly, many people only pursue marriage on that level. But it goes deeper. And again, most days you're not consciously thinking about these deeper levels, but they support those day-to-day -day things. So level two, you might want to pursue marriage because through marriage, you find deeper meaning and purpose in your life. That in this striving to live not just for yourself, but for another person, 
you find purpose in what you say and what you do every day. That in marriage, you might actually discover your own identity more completely. That it's actually in serving another, in being with another, that we come to understand ourselves better. When we live in isolation, we struggle to understand who am I and what am I, what am I supposed to do? But in marriage, you find that identity of who I am as a, a wife, a husband, a mother, a father. Your identity gets shaped through that relationship. But you can go even deeper than that. It can go even deeper than meaning and purpose and identity. That in marriage, there is this real reality of learning how to self-communicate. How do I communicate the mystery of who I am to another human person and receive that same communication back to me? In a real way, that is only possible in the safety of marriage. That intimate and vulnerable communication of two human souls is only possible in the safety of marriage. That through marriage, there's this drive for fecundity, to create. That as human beings, one of the things that we share in God's power is to create. And that fecundity through the bearing of children, the raising of children, and the life that you build is that desire to create something together with another. And there's also the experience of death to self through your faithfulness to your spouse. That there has to be a real dying of your own desires in order to be able to be united to this person for a lifetime. Again, you don't think waking up every day, today I'm going to die. But that underlies everything that you say, especially when you just say, I love you. Now, here's the challenge. Not so long ago, these foundational truths and reality that hold up what we say and do were supported by the culture around us and the life that we lived. That's not the case anymore. Those realities are no longer acknowledged or supported or they're very warped now. And so if we want to live for those greater truths that underlie things, these things of God that we're called to pursue, we have to seek them out. They don't come to us implicitly in the environment that we live in. For example, think of rest on Sundays. It wasn't that long ago. In my childhood, I can still remember where nothing was open on a Sunday because the entirety of the society deemed that it was important enough that we shut everything down for one day a week so that we could rest and we could spend time with family and friends. Obviously, that is so far from the reality that we have now, that if you want to be involved in society, you're almost forced to compromise Sunday. That you don't have the option sometimes to take Sunday as the day of rest, as the Lord desires for us. But then what happens? Then we start to believe that as human beings, we actually don't need rest. And so we're going seven days a week all the time. 
never having this time where we can carve out rest and time being as a family. To the point where what happens more often than not these days is families have to run away somewhere to be able to make that possible because at home, it's no longer possible. That's one example of the way that the world that we are immersed in no longer supports these deeper realities and truths, which means that we have to intentionally choose them often in contradiction to the other people around us to actually pursue these things of God. And I encourage you to hold on to that and remember that, particularly when you're speaking about faith to the members of your family who are not practicing. Because for them, part of the struggle is that they cannot pursue the things of God because they are so immersed in the society around them that they cannot see the deeper realities that underlie their life. They stay only at the surface level, and when you stay at the surface level, the things of God make no sense. They don't have the same meaning and purpose. Now here's the invitation, twofold. One generally speaking, and one specifically for this month of November in our liturgical year. The first is, for those of us who know what these realities are that lift up what we say and do, we have the responsibility to learn how to share that with others. That starts with Jesus. A huge part of Jesus's life was to come and reveal to the world the face of the Father. That in the incarnation of the Son of God, what was given to us was a manifestation of the invisible and eternal realities of God. That's why Jesus is our link to the Father. It's also in the way that you can manifest within your own life the fruits of your prayer. That in your prayer, in pursuing the things that are God, of God, in freedom of heart, those should manifest themselves in the way that you live your life. Because in that, in the way that they take flesh in your life, shows what undergirds that. Right? Have, you, have you ever had the experience where you live something of your Christian life and somebody who is not Christian looks to you and goes, why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you forgive that person? It's the same way with a parent and child, thinking back to the chocolate bar. One of the things that every parent has to strive to do with their children is move them beyond just the superficial and the material and help them to see what's more profound and meaningful underneath. That we don't give children everything that they want because teaching them to share is more important than them getting what they want. The second part of the invitation is in this month of November, as we pray for the souls in purgatory, this is a huge reason why we do that. See, there is no marriage in heaven because in heaven, we are completely immersed in the things that are of God. Those eternal truths that in this life we only experience 
in small ways, we experience completely in heaven. And so we no longer need things like marriage or the sacraments to experience the totality of God, but we are in his divine presence eternally. We pray for the souls in purgatory because what we're praying for is that they let go of anything from this life that they're holding on to. Wherever they lack freedom of heart to pursue the things of God so that they can receive the mercy of God that will lead them to eternal life. And so when you pray for your deceased loved ones this month, what you're praying for is that they don't hold on to the superficial realities of being human, but that they hold on to the eternal things that are of God. This is our challenge, because today those things don't come implicitly. And we have to help each other pursue them and be able to see them in the world that we live in, because they don't come easily. And we have to support each other in pursuing them when things in this life would want to make us settle for something less. Because as we prayed, we pray that God keep us unhindered in mind and body alike, that we may pursue in freedom of heart the things that are God's. 